You know, I was, um, was going to have uh, what the Welcome Back theme song from Welcome Back Carter playing this morning. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think it uh, suffices to say it is good to have people back here this morning. And as I mentioned earlier, this is the first Sunday where we've had children's ministry since March 15, 2020. And I remember that date really well because it was my birthday. That was the, that was the last time we were together. So, uh, you know, we've had we've had different levels of church and different things going on. And at Christmas, we got close, uh, you know, to being able to do what we would normally do. But then lockdowns came again in the new year, and uh, we found ourselves where we are today. And uh, you know, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know this: my God is good, and that His mercies endure forever. Amen. And as I've said right from the beginning of this thing, and I continue to reiterate, that fear has no place in the house of God and in the lives of his believers. Are you hearing me this morning? Fear does not drive us, whether you're, uh, you know, uh, talking about the virus or whether you're talking about, you know, all of the stuff on the other extreme of government fear and everything. I I don't have any fears today because my God goes before me. I will do everything I can to stand up for what I believe in, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Jesus wasn't a politician. He changed the world by transforming lives. Amen? And if your hope is in government, your hope is misplaced. Government is just a a tool, an expression of the people to try and take care of the people. But there's good government, there's bad government, there's only one good God. Amen? And that's where our hope needs to be. It needs to be in him. Amen. Wow. That's a free sermon here this morning. Hallelujah. You know, we kicked off the month of September talking about the value of family. And uh, last week I talked about, you know, the family. I talked about how the first family, the family of God, the family that's represented in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, is in essence the foundation for all that we do and all the relationship that we have with God. And God so believes in family that when he sent his, his own son to redeem the world, he didn't send him uh, in, in adult form. He sent him as a child impregnated in a young virgin so that he could be born into a family and that he could live and experience family life. And you know, a little known fact to most people is that Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters, and the scripture names the brothers, and, and Jesus was the older brother to a family of, you know, who knows what, fighting around the table and all the kind of stuff that experienced. He experienced family firsthand, and family is God's idea, and God has created us to live in advance and to grow and to be healthy in family. That doesn't mean everybody's family is that kind of family, and it doesn't mean that anybody's family is perfect. How many know there's no perfect family? In fact, Jesus' own family was not perfect. Jesus was perfect, but his family was not, right? So he had uh, a mom and dad who were every bit as human as you and I, and he had siblings every bit as human as you and I. So Jesus, being perfect, was born in an imperfect family, and yet he was placed there by God who believed in family. And so it's hard for us to be able to do ministry without believing in the foundation of family. And we need to do everything we can to advance the kingdom by building healthy families. And families come in all sizes and shapes and descriptions, but God wants them to be a reflection of his divine nature. Amen? He wants them to be a place where where those in the family support one another and love one another as Christ loves the church. 
and gave his life for the church. And so today, though, because it's the first day back with so many people here, I want to shift my attention a little bit this morning from talking about, you know, our earthly families and the, the human family, and I want to move to talking about the family of God. Because you're all back here today, I want to talk about the family of God. And uh, I want to start off by just re- talking about the fact that God is a relational God, and that's why we are a family as church members. Because God is a relational God, he's all about relationship. When we were redeemed by God, we were redeemed by a God who expresses himself through relationship. Relationship is the very essence of Christianity. It's the very essence of Christianity. If you remove relationship from Christianity, you remove the centerpiece of our faith. The Bible is, in fact, not a rule book, and it's not a history book, and it's not just a story book. The Bible is a record of our Heavenly Father trying to restore relationship with his creation, which is mankind. And if you track the theme, uh, and there's nobody's done a better job of this than Gene Edwards in his book called The Divine Romance, he tracks God's pursuit of humanity from Genesis right through to the culmination of Christ on the cross, and how that the Bible is a narrative of God reaching out to his creation to, del- to deliver them back into family to take them out of the the life of separation from him and to restore family. That's what God has been doing from the beginning. Relationship is the essence of Christianity. But religion, on the other hand, by definition, it's a system of faith and of worship that man has created to try and elevate himself to God. Relationship is God is God's love reaching down to man. But religion is man's works trying to lift us up to God. Relationship triumphs. Religion fails. Religion fails. And the more religious people are, the more their relationships falter and the more their faith is built on a shaky foundation. And all you have to do is go and look in the places where where, you know, religion is the, the political motivating force. It's the, the thing that drives every decision. I'm not talking about, about true faith. I'm talking about religion. Where you see that, you see uh, incredible oppression. You see devastation. You see legalism. You see people being taken out, not because they faltered in relationship, but because they failed to meet a religious expectation. That's not the kingdom way. God created us to be in relationship with him with each other. He created us to be a family. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Once you understand that we're supposed to be in a family, that means that you're able to handle the person beside you that you don't particularly care for. Because family sticks up for each other. As I mentioned before, I mean, I could, you know, not like my sisters or my brother, and I could pick on them, and I could go to war with them, but if anybody else did that, Mm, look out, right? But uh, they're my family. And, you know, and there's sometimes in the family of God, it's like that too. You know, there's some people you look at, in the, you know, in your church family, you go, oh boy, here they come again, you know? But something happens, somebody goes after them and you come to their defense because they're part of the family of God. And God bound us together through relationship that way. We're connected to one another. 
we're connected to one another in the context of a family of faith. Now, when we think about relationships, there are many ideas that come into our minds and they're valid and they're valuable, but how many know, like everything, some things are good and some things are gooder, right? They're just, they're just better, do you know what I mean? And, uh, and so we need to understand that some things are good, but there's some revelations that are even more superior than that which is good. And so I want to help you out with that today. And I've, I think I've only ever talked about this once before at church, and it was something I got a revelation of a few years ago. And it has literally just changed my life, but it helps us to understand the nature of the family of God. I like the idea that the Bible says that I'm a friend of God. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? You know? Uh, it's always been more than just a song for me, you know, uh, that was Israel Houghton that sings that song, I'm a friend of God, right? Um, he calls me friend. It's been more than that. It's been, it's been something that has, has really walked with me in my faith that I realize that he's my friend. It reminds me that, that God spends time with me just not because he has to, but because he likes to, right? That's one of the heartening things about uh, understanding friendship is that that person's with you, not because they have to be, but because... They want to be, right? Do you, do you get that? Everybody follow me? You know, and there are many scriptures that, that affirm the concept of relationship and with God and, and as a friendship and the fact that that was really, especially the Old Testament, it was the highest thing that you could aspire to was to be considered a friend of God. In Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, Isaiah 41, 8, uh, it tells us that, that Abraham was a friend of God. And James 2.23 even repeats that. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God and was credited him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. And if you leap forward a few years in the Old Testament after Abraham, you'll see that Moses was identified as a friend of God, and he had cultivated that kind of relationship. In Exodus chapter 33, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Both Abraham and Moses were referred to as God's friend. Two giants of the Old Testament, walking with God, honoring God with their lives, became known as friends of God. Friendship with God was something to be aspired to in the Old Testament. Uh, If a person had a heart after God, if they loved God, if they were hungry for God, and they were willing to uh, follow him and diligent to obey him, and they placed their faith in him, then they would be recognized as a friend of God. And there's no greater, I think, term of endearment placed upon a saint in the Old Testament than be called a friend of God. Now, in the New Testament, move forward to the New Testament, and you look at friendship with God in the New Testament. Uh, John the Baptist, how many remember John? Everybody remembers John. Most people forget that he was actually Jesus' first cousin, right? So uh, John the Baptist, who was a cousin to Jesus, was also a friend of Jesus. He had that same kind of relationship with Jesus. And uh, in John chapter 3, verse 29, uh, you know, John says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and his joy is full when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And then John said this. He said, that joy is mine, and it's now complete. So John was saying, I, I'm, as a friend, my joy is complete because I'm attending to the bridegroom, which is Jesus Christ. John was the first cousin of Jesus, as I mentioned, He was a prophetic forerunner of Jesus, and he considered himself to be a friend of Jesus as well. And then that theme of friendship is seen throughout the Gospels. Jesus was identified as a friend of tax collectors and sinners in both Matthew and Luke's Gospel. 
Uh, it said in Matthew eleven nineteen, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's obvious from those kind of comments that Jesus made it his life pursuit to befriend people that nobody else would befriend. Right? And that's a comfort to us as Christians. Jesus reaches out and he befriends people that nobody else wants to befriend. And that makes it remarkable. Then uh, if you look at the disciples and the importance of friendship there, in his famous conversation with the disciples, you know, Jesus said in John 15, 13, he said, no greater love has anyone than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends, right? And then in John 15, 15, Jesus personalized that, and he said to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, right? Because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is, but instead I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Wow. The disciples got this upgrade. They were upgraded from servants to friends, right? Jesus considered the disciples to be his friends, and he, decide, he decided to give them that uh, awareness or that revelation into their heart. And they'd been, they previously knew what it was to walk as a servant because really most people in the Old Testament, that's all they were to God. They were, they were servants. They were called to live by the law. And very few ever got to that place where they were identified like Moses and Abraham as a friend. But here's Jesus telling the disciples, you're my friend. You've received an upgrade. You're no longer servants. You're friends. You're friends. And that's pretty impressive stuff. But then it was on April 9th in 2018, I had a revelation from God. I was looking up all the words that identify our relationship with God. Looking them all up, just one after another. And, and the first one I started with was friends. And so I looked it up and and I started going through the scripture on friendship. And I realized that friendship was the closest you could get to God under the old covenant. Abraham was God's friend. Moses was a friend of God. John the Baptist uh, identified himself as a friend of God. Jesus described as, uh, was described as a friend of tax collectors and sinners and the disciples that were considered to be friends of God. All of that, every one of those references, though, was old covenant. He said, well, no, most of those were from the New Testament. New Testament, true, but where the New Testament starts at Jesus' birth, the New Covenant doesn't start until after his death and resurrection because it's a covenant written in his blood. And all of those references are Old Covenant because Jesus had not yet sacrificed his life and paid the price to restore us to proper relationship with the Father. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? The New Covenant is different. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says it this way. He said, the covenant written in Jesus' blood is a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises. Everybody say better. 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 Say it one more time. Better. better. Better promises. Old Testament, old covenant, good. New covenant, better. Right? Remember what I said at the beginning? Some things are good. Some things are gooder. Right? Our covenant is gooder. Is better, amen, than anything that Moses or Abraham or anybody in the Old Testament walked in, this that we enjoy through Jesus Christ is better. And the promise that we have in, in the new covenant can only be expressed. It's so much better that friendship alone fails. It can only be expressed using the intimate relationship or language of family of being brides, sons, daughters, heirs. That's the language of the new covenant. 
That's the language of the new covenant. And here's what the, where the revelation hit me as I was searching through the scripture. I discovered nowhere in the New Testament under the new covenant does God ever call his children friends. He only calls us family. The word friend is not used to describe the believer in the New Testament in the new covenant. And that shocked me. That shocked me. Now, there's lots of places where friendship is talked about, but it's lateral friendship. It's brother to brother, sister to sister in the body of Christ. But it's not used to describe our relationship with God under the new covenant. Never on this side of the cross are we the church body identified as friends of God. We've been redeemed by the blood and we've been transformed into something much more than friends. We've been adopted and grafted into the family of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High. That's the language of the new covenant. And if you don't believe me, look for yourself. It's just not there. There's only one other reference where it seems to say friends. And I looked it up and it was like the translators got scared or something because it's after the resurrection and they're fishing all night. And then Jesus says to them, and then I think it's in one of the translations, maybe the NIV he says, my friends, have you not caught any fish? But if you actually read it, it doesn't say that. It says my children. If you go back to the Greek language, it says my children, have you not caught any fish? The language, again, family, not friendship, family, too intimate for a friend to be able to describe it. Now, I know what you might be saying, but didn't you just say you got comfort from being called a friend of God? Yes, I did. And, and it's wonderful to be considered a friend of God. But how many know that family's deeper? And it doesn't mean that God isn't still my friend. But he's more than my friend. He's family. Somebody say amen. He's family. And I find it fascinating that the, the Bible, after the new covenant, never refers to his saints as friends again. It's always using the language of family. I, I find that fascinating. I don't know about you, but that's, that's just incredible to me. That a word, the, the words mean something. And the Bible uses words carefully. And, and when God is describing his relationship with us, he's always using the language of family. He's always using the language of family. He considers us to be family. Now, like I said, it doesn't mean you can't be friend, but let, let, me, let me give you an example. My wife is my best friend. And how many know that's really helpful in a marriage relationship for them to be your best friend, right? But I, I don't think ever in the 30 plus years we've been married, have we been at some kind of a social gathering and you know, we're getting together with people we've not met before. And, and I put my arm around Sherry and I say, and this is my friend, Sherry. Right? I've not done that. Why? Because the relationship of husband and wife is deeper and more intimate than friendship. She may be my friend, but she is more than my friend. She is my wife. And so the language I use to describe her, I don't say this is my friend, Sherry. I say, this is my wife, Sherry, right? Similarly, take my children. I, I, you know, I go out with, with the family where, you know, we hang around together. We do things good. We have similar interests and all the rest of it. Uh, but, you know, I, I never introduce my, my kids as this is my, you know, my friend, Ryan, or my friend, Derek, or my friend, Amanda. I said, no, this is my son, or this is my daughter. 
right? Because the relationship of family is deeper than friendship. It takes precedent over friendship. It doesn't mean you can't be friends. It just means you are so much more than friends. That's what the family of God is. And so if that's true, if we are all sons and we're daughters, not just friends of God, then look at the person beside you in this auditorium this morning and acknowledge something. They are your brother or sister. All right? They're not just your friend. They can be your friend, but they're more than your friend. They're your brother or sister. They are family. They are your brother or your sister. And, and God, God believes in family, and he wanted his church to function as a family. That's why all of that new covenant language is family language. He redeemed us as a groom redeems a bride. He grafted us into the family as sons and daughters. He invites us around his table with his, with his father to determine the outcomes of nations. God does it. He invites us as family. He doesn't invite us as, as just investors or as workers or laborers or as friends, but as family. And he says, sit down and let's have dinner together. Let's spend time together. Let's work together to advance my kingdom. And we can't do it if we do it just as soldiers or as laborers or even as friends. We have to do it as family. John 13, 35. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have friendship with one another. Is that what it says? If you have love one for another. And that love that we're to have is the love that binds us together as a family. The world will know that we're Christians, not because of our philanthropy, not because of the, the good things that we do in the world. They'll know that we're Christians because they'll look at the body of Christ and they will see a family. They will see love for one another. They will see a people that would take a bullet for one another. They will see people that would lay their lives down for one another. And the greatest, the greatest false advertising of the kingdom of God is the lack of family in the body of God. We're family. And yeah, we, we can do things that make us mad at one another once in a while. Growing up, my siblings did things to make me mad, but we're still family. But you know what's interesting is that as I've grown as a Christian, my brothers and sisters in Christ are even closer to me than my own physical family. How many have ever experienced that? And, and I've discovered that without them, without them, life would be shallow. It would be empty. But the reason it's full and it's rewarding is because I've got family, huge family. I've got a family all over the earth. I've got family in just about every continent on earth. I've got family uh, where I could just go and I could just put my feet up and sit in their couch and, you know, spend time in their house and everything else. And, and I'm not related to them at all. I'm there and I'm invited in because I'm family in the family of God. And anybody that's ever done short-term mission work knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? You go halfway around the world and you're accepted in 
not because you're the same color, you speak the same language or anything else, but because of the redeeming power of Jesus Christ that took two people from opposite parts of the world and bound them together with a love and an affection that comes because they're part of the family of God. That's how it happens. (laughs) That's exciting. How many know that's exciting? That's who we are. That's who we are. Loving this way is risky business, though. See, when we love like family in the body of Christ, how many know nobody can hurt you but like family can hurt you? Right? How many have ever experienced that? You know? Less than stellar home lives. I'm sure everybody's got a story. And because the closer we are to somebody in proximity of relationship, the more power they have to hurt us. Right? That's why divorces are so painful, so incredibly hurtful, not just to the people getting divorced, but to to children and to extended family. It's because the tighter, the closer you are in relationship, the more power you have both to affirm or to wound the person that you're connected to. And so relationships can get messy. Relationships, you know, can be hurtful. If we were just a club like the Lions Club or the kinsmen, you know, or something like that, a service club, who was united only through the things that we did, eh, you really wouldn't care if so-and-so went out and did this or this person did that. But when you're a family, it's different. And when you're the family of God, what other people do and how they live and, and the decisions they make, they, 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 they affect you. They make an impact in your, in your life. And so it can be, it can be risky to really love that person beside you or behind you or in front of you like family. It can be risky. It can be something that, that can lead toward hurt and wounding in your life. It can. And the proof of it is, and how many of you have ever heard this before? Well, I'd never do business with Christians. You know, that, com- that comes out of the mouth of somebody who attempted to walk as a brother or sister with somebody and they got burned. And the wound went so deep that now they have this default button or default setting that says, I would never dot, 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 right? Where does that come from? It comes from the wounding that happens only because you expected more. You looked for more. You were hoping for more. And when that wounding happens, and if you are in any family, you know it will happen. It's a matter of when, not if. So when it happens, you have a choice. You can choose to change your default setting from one of love and trust and grace, or you can instead choose to continue to walk in love and to trust and grace. See what I mean? You can turn that switch off or you can leave it on. Does everybody understand what I'm saying this morning? We've been created to love each other, to live unselfishly, and it is dangerous, but it's the only way to live. Otherwise, what happens to us is not good. My favorite author, thank you, he said this, (laughs) he said this, he said, to love anything is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, 
Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. And the point that he's making is that it can be painful, but the alternative is for your heart to become so hard that even God's presence cannot penetrate it anymore. The only way we can stay in intimate relationship with God, to walk out a relationship with God, is to accept the wounding that comes from other people, to take it and to give it back to Jesus, and to determine in our hearts that we will not allow that to separate us from the beauty and the joy and the celebration that comes from being with one another in the body of Christ as brothers and sisters, bound by the love of God. Do you hear me this morning? Now, over the last 18 months, the ability, the opportunity to express this has been impacted by lockdown measures and all of that kind of thing. And in, I know that it has not been easy on anybody. I do. And I've had people come up to me and tell me that it's been very hard, that they never realized how many of their weekly connections were made on Sunday. You know, they come to church on Sunday, bump into somebody, hey, let's do coffee on Tuesday. The next thing Tuesday happens because of Sunday, right? Or they take their kids together as two families in the park because of a conversation on Sunday. And relationships and friendships develop uh, because of people they meet at church and then they develop lifelong relationships with them because of this, because of community, because of family. And, and you know, if there's anything the last 18 months has taught us is that this is a, a precious thing. And many people have said to me, you know, I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. And uh, I, I don't like, you know, what has happened to me. I don't like what I've become. I don't like what... It is going on with my family, with my children. We, we want to be part of the family. And even though sometimes the family is hard, I prefer the hard over nothing at all. Am I making sense to anybody here today? You know, a few years ago, I think it was like 2011 or 2012. I don't know if you remember this, Barry, but we had a Tuesday night prayer meeting here. And we had quite a few here that night, I think 40 or 50. And you said um, we were going to do a thing called uh, creative inquiry. You remember that? Appreciative inquiry, positive inquiry. Yeah. And we were going to, we put up a board and we just asked people to come up and, and write words on it that described uh, their connection to the family, to, the, to, the, to Desert Stream. And so... I just want to read you the list that came out in 2000, and uh, I think it was 2011, 2012. But um, I want to read this to you. These are the words that people wrote down that, that described their connection to this family. And, and listen to these words. Worship, freedom, unity, liberty. I felt home, accepted, purpose, love, security, family brought together, family, trust, presence encounter, camaraderie, prayer, hearing from God, freedom of expression, supported, 
pastors accessible, pastors believed in me, meaningful experiences, Father's love, comforted, God's glory, intimacy, move of the Spirit, generosity, vision, blessing imparted, purpose, healed, visions of unity, missions, place of help, people are patient, a place to grow, community mindset, growth, sonship, supported, I found out who I am, who we are in Christ, unconditional love, personal love, got to see God's presence, supernatural Sunday, trusted, safety, free but challenged by God, complete, love from the people, supernatural, provision, expanded, no limits, fathering, mothering. It's pretty good, eh? It's been over a decade since that list, or it's been a decade since that list was written on a Tuesday night. I have it because it was so meaningful to me that I took a picture of it with my cell phone before we wiped it off the board. And I kept that picture on my phone for the longest time. Then I sat down and typed it all out so I'd have a permanent record of it. And uh, there's times when I've been down and I pull that list out. Because how many know pastors have down days too, right? Pastors are people too, right? So you have days where you're just like, yep, today, today, I could do just about anything else. I could be a car salesman and be happy today. And on those days, you pull that list out and you say, no, no, this is where I am and this is where I'm meant to be. And so when I was reading that list this past week and I got thinking to myself, over the last 18 months, being without family in many ways has probably reminded us of why we need family. And so I thought today it might be time for us to make another list, for us to go to the whiteboard and make another list today. And so I'd ask Pastor Mark to bring this in for me this morning, and same whiteboard, dutifully hung by Wayne Levy on a rolling stand so we can transport it anywhere around the church. And, and to just, as your act of worship this morning at the end of this service, um, we're going to invite you to just come on up and a word, two words, maybe a statement of what being part of God's family, in particular this family, has meant to you. Uh, there's no room for you to preach a sermon. So just as uh, the reason I read the list before, even though I, I risked preempting what someone might say again, is I wanted to get an idea of how it was written, all right? So that you're not there, well, I don't know what you're You know, that's not what this is about. These are just statements, brief statements, that summarize what being part of the family has meant to you. And, and I think over the last 18 months, I know for me, I'm more aware, more conscious of what this means to me than I think I've ever been aware in 30 years. Are you hearing me? My daughter had a, had a, a moment where she said, Dad, she said, you know what? Actually, I find weird. I, I find it frightening how quickly we adjusted to not being able to go to church, to filling it with other things. So at first you think, oh, maybe I don't need it. But then as time goes by, you realize, wait a minute, those other things are not the thing that I need. I need my family. Just like when you leave home for the first time, you go to college, university, and you go, oh, freedom. <laughs> freedom. 
Then you have a revelation of just how much freedom costs us. And then you realize, you know what? It wasn't so bad at home. It really wasn't. And that no matter what I did, mom and dad were there for me. They loved me. Or my sisters or my brothers were there for me. You know, the body of Christ is a family. So I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And then I'm going to get Mark or just want to roll that around. And, and, and I'm going to invite you to come on up. And Mark, could you just put it right in front of that camera so nobody goes up on the stage and bumps into the camera, please? And uh, we're going to invite you to come on up. As, as an act of worship today, just grab the marker, and, and, and it might take you a while to get your turn. Don't be impatient, because it's going to take a while for us to get the sanctuary torn down and some set up. Mark, Mark will give some instruction about that in a minute after I pray. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to transform this into a you know, dining room here today, and, you know, we want you to have some time of fellowship. And uh, we're so grateful, as I've said earlier today, to have this opportunity to be with you, to share with you today. And we want you to know that Sherry and I don't take any of your lives for granted. It's easy to take people for granted, isn't it? You know, it's easy to do. And in a season like this where you don't see people, man, oh man, uh, you know, I've called people up that I haven't seen in years and they're like, whoa, hey, how are you doing, right? And chatting with them and find out, you know, what this whole season has meant to them and what impact it's had on them. And it's given me an awareness of other people's frustrations and struggles and some victories and overcoming as well. But I think today, what does family mean to you today? And after a renewed revelation of it over the last 18 months, I invite you to come in. And when we're done today, we'll do the same thing again. We'll take a picture of this and we'll put it up on, we'll type it out probably and then put it up on our, our Realm page and on our Facebook page uh, so that you can all have that, take a copy of it. If you want to come up and take a picture of it, you can feel free to do that. But I encourage you to wait to the end until everybody has had a chance to come on up and write uh, on that board. But I encourage you, please do it. it your word of encouragement might be something that triggers somebody else or might be something that blesses somebody else. So don't hold back. Amen. Father, we just thank you today that we are the family of God. Lord, I thank you that we're, you know, there's more to it than that. It's not just the only family. There are, the family is around the world. But today we are, we are a small part. We're a small expression of the family of God right here in the city of Belleville. Lord, and, and that, Lord, there are much smaller expressions in other places, and there's much larger ones, but, Lord, we have this in common. We are the family of God. And, Father, I pray today that, Lord, as we come forward and we, we make the expression on this board, that, Lord, you would guide us and you direct us, that, Lord, you would help us to, Father, just be honest and give revelation of what the family of God means to me that we would be able to help one another and we would be able to encourage one another through this today. We thank you today in Jesus' name.